grab when there are plenty available at the back. We're going to turn to Matthew chapter 9 for our reading this morning. I'm going to start at verse 33, so, uh, 35 to so the end of chapter 9 and uh, go into chapter 10. So Matthew records for us that Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and illness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These 12, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. For now, rather, go to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim the message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal those who are ill. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received freely give. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, we can do better than that, can't we? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're in a series at the moment as a church together called Led by Love and Really, the whole passion behind it is to, uh, it's really an experiment that I want us to go on. What if we put love at the front of this whole thing? What if we were led by the love of God and the love of God for his world, for people who don't yet know him, for each other? What if that led us and guided us? What if we arranged the whole thing that we call church around the two greatest commandments? If you do nothing else with your life, Love God with all you've got. I mean, that alone is the journey of a lifetime, isn't it? That's not a little tweak. That's not a little, oh, yes, I'll add that to the to-do list. That's a journey of a lifetime. God, I want to love you with all I've got. And all that is within me, praise his holy name. And then not just to love others as much as we love ourselves, that was challenging enough, but Jesus says there's a new commandment now to love others even as he has loved us. And if you want to know how Jesus loves you, well, we've just tasted of the sacrificial love of Jesus. Again, not a little tweak, but the journey of a lifetime. But it's a journey that I want to be on. It's a journey that anyone who loves Jesus, wants to follow Jesus, wants to be on. So we're seeking to support each other in that. And we're looking really at reorganizing ourselves around three key values. It's easy to organize ourselves around activities or, or projects, but to put our values out in front. And so we want to be a people who are led by love to believe 
that our loving of Jesus and our, and our believing in him are the same thing, that the trust that combines those two things is concrete in who Jesus is. We want to do that in a way that we belong to one another uh, and that others belong to us and that is open to others becoming part of what Jesus is doing among us. Love each other, we're called to, again and again in the New Testament, to love each other as sisters and brothers. And then lastly, this is where we're going to land this morning. Uh, I don't know if we'll get it all done this morning, I've got no idea, but this is where we're going to be for a while. We don't do that for the sake of ourselves. Because there is a world out there. I get to sit here or stand here and look out this huge glass porch that was deliberately put there so that the person speaking would be reminded it's not about here, it's about there. There are people living without the hope of Jesus. There are people dying without the hope of Jesus. And you are and I are called to do something about that. That's where we're going to be this morning. I've been given something I feel like to share this morning, and I was trying to knock it into a, a Sunday morning shape, but I couldn't get away from the fact that it felt like something we would do in our discipleship group, Bless. And so we're going to get a little sample of Bless this morning. How many people here have done Bless? Yeah, you can lead the way on this one then, guys, okay, because we're going to do it like that. So hopefully everyone's had a, a, one of these handouts. If not, there's some available in the porch or just on my left there. Uh, there's some pens available at the back as well. If you want to scribble, some, some of us learn and, and think that way. If you don't, please don't worry. Uh, you can fill that in later on. Uh, but this is where I want us to go this morning. Just by... Um, means of an amen. So we're all going to say amen in just a moment. But allow the volume of your amen to indicate how strongly you believe something. Does that make sense? So if I say something and you sort of mumble an amen, I'll know that we're down there somewhere. Or if you bellow it at me, uh, then I'll know that we strongly believe it. Okay? You, you up for this? Yeah. Everyone understand? Yeah. Good. Didn't say amen, but you said okay. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> we have a God who loves all people. Amen. Okay, we're doing well. We have a God who has gone to extreme lengths to demonstrate that love for all people. Amen. We have a God who wants all people to come to a saving knowledge of the truth. Amen. And tomorrow, he can use you and I to tell somebody about that. Okay, good, okay, we got an amen, we got an amen. It's not nice to look at a congregation that said amen quite suspiciously. There you go. I hope we got that on the mic, actually. It's good to get a few amens in. It's true, isn't it, that what we believe about God and what we feel and say we believe about God is sometimes stretched and challenged by the circumstances we find ourselves in. That thought that God loves all people, wants all people to be saved, it's not my thought, it's written in the scriptures, it's God's word. He tells us those very things. It's so easy to forget those, isn't it? Tomorrow, to the course of, of this week. There's some people it's very easy to imagine that God loves. They'd make a lovely Christian. <laughs> some people are a bit more challenging. And depending on personality, experience, we'll all have different people in those camps, the challenge is, am I ready to go and share? 
I want to offer us this morning a, a four-step sort of pattern for how Jesus shared his message with the world. Uh, I want to think about the way that Jesus looked at people and how we can look, how we can really look. And then about how Jesus loved people and how we can love people, really love people. How Jesus leant in to his Father's presence and power and how we can lean in, really lean in to God's provision, provision and power. And finally, how Jesus took a leap often and how we can really leap. The four simple steps for us today, we'll work, work through these together. Uh, in the passage that we read, we have these words. Uh, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. I don't know if you've noticed this, but there are times when you read the Bible and it says something really obvious. Have you noticed this? He saw the crowds. Now, a crowd, by its very nature, you can't really miss. You can understand if it said he saw the person, or he saw the child, or he saw a coin. Or, but he saw the crowds. Why does Matthew want us to know that Jesus saw the crowds? Because there's something about the way that he sees them. As he looks at them, he has compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. Now, Jesus here doesn't say that some of the crowd looked harassed or helpless or a few. But when he sees them, he sees beyond the obvious. He sees something deeper. And then he diagnoses that because they are like sheep without a shepherd. Got no one to feed them. Got no one to look after them. No one to protect them. No one to lead them. And this, this moves Jesus, as we're going to think in a moment deeply. But it starts with how we see people. It starts with the question, do we see people? He saw them. There are three sort of little boxes at the bottom of that where it says, his eyes saw them. So I'd love you to do something for a moment. And I'd love you to think about somebody that you're going to see this week. Could be a colleague, could be a neighbor, could be a friend, could be a, a family member, just anyone. Now, I can be confident that this can be pretty random because God wants a relationship with every single person. There is nobody that right now God, by his Holy Spirit, is not reaching out towards. There is nobody that Jesus is unable to redeem. So this could be as random as you like. Just pick a person. If it helps, you can write their name in that box. And just take a moment to seek to see the world through their eyes. That's what compassion really is, with passion, with understanding, to be able to view things from someone else's eyes, to take off the goggles of our own experience or our own day or our own urgency or our own importance, to take those off and to think, how is that person feeling right now? What is life like for them? Just take a moment to do that today with that person. Because it's easy, isn't it, when we think about ourselves and sometimes the actions that we wish we didn't do or the words that we wish we didn't say, to fill the space with reasons why we're like that. But to imagine that behind somebody else's eyes there are no reasons, they're just that kind of person. 
They're just grumpy. They're just angry. They're just miserable. We do it all the time, don't we? Jesus saw the crowds, had compassion on them. And then he saw them through heaven's eyes, like sheep without a shepherd. I'm no farmer, but from what I understand, from what I read, sheep don't do well without a shepherd. They need someone to tend them, someone to lead them to places where it's safe, someone to protect them, especially at night, someone to check them that they're not ill or injured. That's how Jesus sees this crowd of people. They need something. It takes a moment, doesn't it, for us to, to see people through, through heaven's eyes. We're so conditioned, aren't we, with the thinking of this world. Oh, they've got everything together. They're happy. They're successful. But what does heaven see? What does Jesus see? In the book of Genesis, there's this story of a slave girl. She's actually owned by Abraham and, and Sarah. She's an Egyptian girl who just gets picked up somewhere along the way and uh, exists just to serve them. And Abraham's got this promise that he's not just going to have a child, he's going to have a whole family of nations uh, that he will father. But as he gets older, there's no obvious outcome of this. And so there's a sense of frustration that God has promised something, but time is ticking. Time's moving on. Sarah herself is, is barren, and there doesn't seem to be an answer to prayer. So Sarah comes up with this idea, the slave girl, why don't you take her as a concubine? So this slave is effectively raped. Then as she becomes pregnant, others notice this and start to tell rumors about Sarah and about the story, about the relationship. And Sarah is embittered by this suddenly full of regret and takes it out on the slave. Eventually treats her so badly, the slave runs away, and so you've got a pregnant slave, powerless, desperately vulnerable, in the wilderness on their own. And then an angel comes to her and does what nobody else in the passage does, calls her by name. It says, Hagar. It starts to begin to speak promise into her life. And she's the first person, as far as I can tell it, in the whole of the Bible to give God a name. She calls him the God who sees me. And she's saying something deeper, isn't it, than God has noticed I exist. God, you've seen my fear. You've seen my need. And for all of us, firstly, here today, I want you to know that. That's who God is. He sees you. knows you and even for an Egyptian slave lost in the wilderness her son is Ishmael from whom we're going to come the descendants of the Ishmaelites and that's not always going to go well for Israel that's going to be tension and stress and if God was a, a cold-hearted pragmatist he could have left Hagar in the wilderness but he sees her takes the risk of love the adventure of love and we get to demonstrate that. We get to offer that to people. I see you. And I care about that because I believe that God sees. That God knows. So we look, we really look at people. 
And secondly, we lean in to love. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The word for compassion there in the Greek, and in our days, it's kind of a nice word, isn't it? It's got a nice sort of ring to it. In the original language, I've, I've actually given it to you there in the Greek. I'm going to attempt to pronounce it very, very badly. I think it's splagnizomai. I don't know how I got this job. It's ridiculous that I do this job. But it basically means your inner parts. It actually literally means your guts. Jesus didn't have a nice, warm, fuzzy feeling in his heart. He was moved to his stomach. Just by this, those people need someone to look after them. Those people need someone to lead them. Those people need someone to love them. Moved to the core of his being by this. So how do you feel? As you see a world in need, in need of love, in need of care, in need of someone to lead them to Jesus, how do we feel? We were hosting the um, Minister's Fellowship here uh, this week. It's called the Central Minister's Fellowship, which is quite ironic because I'm not sure Cardiff is central to anything, but there's a bunch of leaders together and the new regional minister, Rob, was, was sharing. And he was talking about the call to love people. He spoke about a time, do you remember this thing, COVID? Do you remember that? Uh, he was speaking a bit about the clap for carers that we used to do every Thursday evening. What was it? Six o'clock, I can't remember what time it was now. We'd all go out and we'd clap together and we'd remember, oh, people live in this street. And we saw that there were people that lived next door to us that we hardly knew. How can I love my neighbor if I don't know them? If love's got to be sincere. During lockdown, there were times when myself and our neighbor would chat over the hedge uh, for ages, talk about stuff we were hoping to do in the garden, which we haven't got around to doing, but we'd share together, we'd talk together. I haven't got time for that now, we're both too busy. So if I'm going to love people, I have to sacrifice my busy urgency, my self sense of importance, and somehow create time. How could you demonstrate to somebody this week, I want to know you a bit better than just this transactional thing we've got going on. I was thinking about a scale, and I guess the opposite of love, it's not hate. Hate's a very strong emotion. It's indifference, just they cease to exist tomorrow, it wouldn't affect me at all. It's indifferent. On the other end of that spectrum, I've, I've put intentional. So I think love is intentional, actually. I'm going to create time for this. I'm going to create space for this. At some point, you might want to do it now. Where do you fall on this right now? For some of us, I guess it's probably a range, isn't it, rather than a single point. How much do we really love? And part of that as well is linked to the next scale about how open am I to others? See, there's something about love, isn't there, that when it's insincere, you can smell it. Spot a fake smile, can't you, a mile off. Love tends to ooze out of every pore, doesn't it? If someone hasn't got time to stop and chat, you don't, somehow you don't ask them, you just see it in their body language. And, the speed that they're walking and the serious look on their face or the way they're looking down and not making eye contact. 
It oozes out, not just the words that we say, but the tone of voice that we say it in. How open am I really to others? And then Jesus encourages us to lean in. It's interesting that this is his first response. Harvest is plentiful. It's not a lack of opportunity. It's a lack of availability. It's the workers that are the problem. It's so easy, isn't it, to blame the harvest. Ah, people are just too busy these days. People are too self-sufficient, too self-satisfied. So easy to blame the harvest. Jesus doesn't. Jesus sees this group of people, this crowd of people, and realistically, they're all going to be at different stages, right? And different thoughts about God and experiences about God. They're not all there right on the point of decision. But Jesus says, it's plentiful. The problem is with the workers. So he says, pray. Ask the Lord of the harvest. It's his harvest. It's his people out there. We're not going to out-love God when it comes to the world. Ask him, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. I don't know if there's anything that demonstrates where my hope is truly rooted more than the prayers that I offer in silence. Not the ones I say out loud, but the ones I pray when I'm on my own. If you really want to know where our hope is, or your hope is rooted, just take a quick survey of the last couple of prayers that you've been praying. It's amazing, isn't it, how much we know depends on God, and then there's this other stuff that just depends on us that we don't really talk to him about. Or if we do, it's quite a, a superficial sort of hovering of a subject. Ask the Lord of the harvest, Jesus says. Lean in to him and pray and ask him to send out workers into the harvest field. It's the last time we prayed for that. Pray for workers. I'd encourage you to pray for the workers we already have. To pray for Tim and his role. He was telling me the other day, when September rolls up, there will be seven local schools he'll visit once a month in assemblies. Now, when you think, what was it, 18 months ago, could not get into a single school. Pray for him. Pray for God's creativity, his strength, his encouragement grace, his wisdom, for more opportunities. Keep on praying for him. In a less sort of seen role, we've got Lorraine, who every day is here in the office. We give us Saturdays off and Sundays, but every other day, looking to sustain and support and connect and communicate. So easy, isn't it, with the jobs that don't get noticed up the front, to forget. Pray for her. She's one of the first people anyone booking this church or wanting to know about this church will speak to. So pray for her. I'm not ashamed to say it. Pray for me. I'm an idiot. Now, I'm, not say, I'm not saying that for sympathy. I didn't get it anyway. But, <laughs> just, but just, just, just for honesty. Yesterday, Amy said to me... Um, well, the heel has come off one of your shoes. 
And it wasn't until I got here that I thought, oh, this shoe feels really weird. And I walked here with a heelless shoe. And I wish I could tell you that's my biggest mistake. But if I told you my biggest mistake, you wouldn't be here. I need, I need you to pray. To stay focused. To stay faithful. My name's John and I'm a sinner. Saved by grace. There are times when genuinely it seems ridiculous to me that God would ask me to do this. But the fact that he does. And there is something that he's inviting you to do that might seem ridiculous, but when you do, you lean in and realize that God can use you. There is nothing like it. Lean in. I've left space at the bottom of that one to think about three not yet Christians to ask you to commit to pray for them. To look at them, to love them, and to pray for them. I was speaking to a Korean pastor this week uh, who arranges prayer missions to this country. Uh, we were hoping to host the celebration at the final part of that, but they really and truly need something more central, and they found that now. But um, all they do is they fundraise in their church back home to be able to support a group of about 90 Christians to come and visit the UK and then to break into teams of about 10 uh, and just to go stay in an area for about two weeks and just to pray for that area. He asked if we'd be interested, so I hope you don't mind. I said yes. I hope you don't mind. Okay, good. And they pray. And, and so I said to, said to this guy, how did this come about? And he said, well, we were so grateful for the missionaries from Wales that brought the gospel to us, that we want to bring the gospel to Wales. And I said, that, that's an incredible vision. And he said, well, God tells us to go and make disciples of all nations. Sim simple. That's what we're told to do, so that's what we do. And he said, we love to go and pray somewhere. Some of these people are sleeping on church floors to be able to do this. This is not a holiday. It's not a luxury. They'll, they'll sleep anywhere. In one place he was telling me about, they were up praying so late into the night, some people walking back from a nightclub thought there was some sort of concert on and joined in, came to faith. We need to pray. He said to me, the prayer is the privilege of every child of God. It's your privilege to be able to talk to God. And we get to do that for people who don't yet know him. You could be having a conversation with someone just in the back of your mind. Jesus, bless them. Let them know that they're loved. Let them know that I love them. Might as well. There's always a dialogue going on back there, isn't there? There's always thinking something else. Might as well turn that to God. God, would you bless them? We lean in and ask the Lord of the harvest. And then, really interestingly, Jesus tells them to pray. Strange, isn't it, how when you pray for something, you can pick up a bit of a burden for it. You start to share in the passion for it. These same people that Jesus tells to pray for the harvest, in the next chapter, Jesus then says, now you go to the harvest. It'd be really strange, wouldn't it, if we cared enough to pray but didn't care enough to go. Cared enough to talk to God about it but didn't care enough to talk to them about it. And then he says, as you go, so not if, it's as you go, 
proclaim the message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the good news of Jesus. The rule of God, the reign of God, the way of God is available in the here and now. So heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy. It was thought of in the day to be the worst kind of infectious disease that they knew. That's why Jesus picks on that one. Drive out demons. Freely you've received. Freely give. Jesus isn't expecting you to give anything you haven't received. You've received it. Give. So the question, I guess, that we have to live with as followers of Jesus is, what does kingdom look like in this situation? So where will you be tomorrow? Let's pick on a few things. Some of you will be in school. Some of you might be in college or university. Others of you will be in work. Some of you will be at home looking after kids. Others of you will be retired. If Jesus' kingdom came, what would that look like? What would it look like about the way that we went about our learning, or our working, or our leading, or our loving, or our relating to each other? What does kingdom look like? Jesus tells them to proclaim this message. The word in the Greek is a much nicer word, caruso. It just means to proclaim something, but it's a specific word. It means to proclaim it on behalf of a sovereign. So it's going with the authority of God. In our day, we get confused, don't we? We talk about sort of telling our truth, but this is just telling the truth. It doesn't need to be arrogant. It's just, this has blessed me, this has helped me, this has rescued me. I want to I share it with you. It's a word that can be also translated as to herald, to speak joyfully about. Please notice, it does not translate as having a rant about how the world is going to hell on Facebook. Speak joyfully about Jesus. If we all did that tomorrow, so the question, what does kingdom look like? Is really the question, what does love look like? What does Jesus' love look like for this person in this situation? He tells them to proclaim it, and then he tells them to demonstrate it. So declaration and, and demonstration coming together. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, drive out demons. Freely you've received, freely give. As some of you will know, accompanying this series, we're recording some podcasts that go out on our YouTube channel and also our, our podcast channel. If you want the links for those, we can, we can share those. But we're having a great conversation with a group of people about this that we'll share this week. And one person said she had to rack her brains to remember the last time when she offered to pray for somebody and they said no. Had to really rack her brains to try and think when anybody said no, no, please don't pray. And she said there seems to be a spiritual openness. I was reading a report recently in The Guardian, so it must be true, uh, that <laughs> millennials are more likely to believe in heaven and hell than previous generations. But at the moment, they're like sheep without a shepherd. They know there's pasture, they just don't know how to get there. Well, the secret's planted in you. 
And how will they know unless they're told? Freely you've received. Didn't cost you anything. So freely give. Just to be generous with what we've been given. That's all we're asked to do. It was never meant to be just about me and my little light and my little corner. Always meant to be about the nations. Always meant to be about the world. So I want you to take a moment just to think about what has Jesus done for you? And to list as many things as you can. The times when he's given you hope when there was no hope. The times when he's given you strength when there was no strength. The times when he's given you more grace when there was guilt. What has Jesus done for you? How many things could you list today? And then freely give. How can I share that with others? We live in a digital age, don't we? Sharing something for some of us is just one click away. One click evangelists. Sometimes we don't because of the fear. What will people think if I do this? But what might people miss if we don't? Not all of us are connected digitally, but all of us will have some connection. How can we share what Jesus has done with us with someone else?